Chapter Thirteen of Notes on the Book of Genesis by Charles Henry Mackintosh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christopher Smith. Chapter Thirteen. The opening of this chapter presents to us a subject of immense interest to the heart, namely the true character of divine restoration. When the child of God has in any way declined in his spiritual condition and lost his communion he is in great danger when conscience begins to work of failing in the apprehension of divine grace and of stopping short of the proper mark of divine restoration now we know that god does everything in a way entirely worthy of himself whether he creates redeems converts restores or provides he can only act like himself what is worthy of himself is ever and only his standard of action this is unspeakably happy for us inasmuch as we would ever seek to limit the holy one of israel and in nothing are we so prone to limit him as in his restoring grace in the case now before us we see that abraham was not only delivered out of egypt but brought back unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first and there abraham called on the name of the lord nothing can satisfy god in reference to a wanderer or backslider but his being entirely restored we in the self-righteousness of our hearts might imagine that such an one should take a lower place than that which he had formerly occupied and so he should were it a question of his merit or his character but inasmuch as it is altogether a question of grace it is god's prerogative to fix the standard of restoration and his standard is set forth in the following passage if thou wilt return o israel return to me it is thus that god restores and it would be unworthy of himself to do anything else he will either not restore at all or else restore in such a way as to magnify and glorify the riches of his grace thus when the leper was brought back he was actually conducted to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation when the prodigal returned he was set down at the table with the father when peter was restored he was able to stand before the men of israel and say ye denied the holy one and the just the very thing which he had done himself under the most aggravated circumstances in all these cases and many more which might be adduced we see the perfectness of god's restoration he always brings the soul back to himself in the full power of grace and the full confidence of faith if thou wilt return return to me abraham came unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning then as to the moral effect of divine restoration it is most deeply practical if legalism gets its answer in the character of the restoration antinomianism gets its answer in the effect thereof the restored soul will have a very deep and keen sense of the evil from which it has been delivered and this will be evidenced by a jealous prayerful holy and circumspect spirit we are not restored in order that we may the more lightly to go and sin again but rather that we may go and sin no more the deeper my sense of the grace of divine restoration the deeper will be my sense of the holiness of it also this principle is taught and established throughout all scripture 
but especially in two well-known passages, namely, Psalms 23, 3, and 1 John 1, 9. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The proper path for a divinely restored soul is the path of righteousness. In other words, having tasted divine grace, we walk in righteousness. To talk of grace while walking in unrighteousness is, as the Apostle says, to turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. If grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life, it also manifests itself in righteousness, in the outflow of that life. The grace that forgives us our sins cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Those things must never be separated. When taken together, they furnish a triumphant answer to the legalism and antinomianism of the human heart. But there was a deeper trial for Abraham's heart than even the famine, namely that arising from the company of one who evidently was not walking in the energy of personal faith, nor in the realization of personal responsibility. It seems plain that Lot was, from the very beginning, borne onward rather by Abraham's influence and example than by his own faith in God. This is a very common case. If we look down along the history of the people of God, we can easily see how that in every great movement produced by the Spirit of God, certain individuals have attached themselves thereto who were not personally participators of the power which had produced the movement. Such persons go on for a time, either as a dead weight upon the testimony or an active hindrance to it. Thus, in Abraham's case, the Lord called him to leave his kindred, but he brought his kindred with him. Terah retarded him in his movement until death took him out of the way. Lot followed him somewhat farther until the lusts of other things overpowered him and he entirely broke down. The same thing is observable in the great movement of Israel out of Egypt. A mixed multitude followed them, and caused much defilement, weakness, and sorrow, for we read in Numbers 11, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again, and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? So also in the early days of the church, and not only so, but in every revival which has taken place therein, down to the present day, many have been acted upon by various influences which, not being divine, proved evanescent. And the persons so acted upon sooner or later gave way and found their proper level. Nothing will endure but that which is of God. I must realize the link between me and the living God. I must know myself as one called of Him into the position which I occupy, else I shall have no stability and exhibit no consistency therein. It will not do for us to follow in the track of other people merely because it is their track. God will graciously give each a path to walk in, a sphere to move in, and a responsibility to fulfill. And we are bound to know our calling and the functions thereof, that, by His grace ministered to our souls daily, we may work therein effectually to His glory. It matters not what our measure may be, provided it be what God hath dealt to us. 
we may have five talents or we may have but one still if we use the one with our eye fixed on the master we shall be just as sure to hear from his gracious lips the words well done as if we had used the five this is encouraging paul peter james and john had each his peculiar measure his specific ministry and so with all none needs to interfere with another a carpenter has a saw and a plane a hammer and a chisel and he uses each as he needs it nothing can be more worthless than imitation if in the natural world we look at the various orders of creation we see no imitation all have their proper sphere their proper functions and if it be thus in the natural world how much more in the spiritual the field is wide enough for all in every house there are vessels of various sizes and various shapes the master wants them all let us therefore my beloved reader search and see whether we are walking under a divine or a human influence whether our faith stands in the wisdom of man or in the power of god whether we are doing things because others have done them or because the lord has called us to do them whether we are merely propped up by the example and influence of our fellow or sustained by personal faith in god these are serious inquiries it is no doubt a happy privilege to enjoy the fellowship of our brethren but if we are propped up by them we shall soon make shipwreck so also if we go beyond our measure our action will be strained and unsightly uneasy and unnatural it is very easy to see when a man is working in his place and according to his measure all affectation assumption and imitation is contemptible in the extreme hence though we cannot be great let us be honest and though we cannot be brilliant let us be genuine if a person goes beyond his depth without knowing how to swim he will surely flounder if a vessel put out to sea without being seaworthy and in trim it will surely be beaten back into harbour or lost lot left ur of the Chaldees, but he fell in the plains of sodom the call of god had not reached his heart nor the inheritance of god his vision solemn thought may we ponder it deeply blessed be god there is a path for each of his servants along which shines the light of his approving countenance and to walk therein should be our chief joy his approval is enough for the heart that knows him true we may not always be able to command the approval and concurrence of our brethren we may frequently be misunderstood but we cannot help these things the day will set all this to rights and the loyal heart can contentedly wait for that day knowing that then every man shall have praise of god but it may be well to examine more particularly what it was that caused lot to turn aside off the path of public testimony there is a crisis in every man's history at which it will assuredly be made manifest on what ground he is resting by what motives he is actuated and by what objects he is animated thus it was with lot he did not die at charon but he fell at sodom the ostensible cause of his fall was the strife between his herdsmen and those of abraham but the fact is when one is not really walking with a single eye and purified affections he will easily find a stone to stumble over 
if he does not find it at one time he will find it at another if he does not find it here he will find it there in one sense it makes little matter as to what may be the apparent cause of turning aside the real cause lies underneath far away it may be from common observation in the hidden chambers of the heart's affections and desires where the world in some shape or form has been sought after the strife between the herdmen might have been easily settled without spiritual damage to either abraham or lot to the former indeed it only afforded an occasion for exhibiting the beautiful power of faith and the moral elevation the heavenly vantage ground on which faith ever sets the possessor thereof but to the latter it was an occasion for exhibiting the thorough worldliness of his heart the strife no more produced the worldliness in lot than it produced the faith in abraham it only manifested in the case of each what was really there thus it is always controversies and divisions arise in the church of god and many are stumbled thereby and driven back into the world in one way or another they then lay the blame on the controversy and division whereas the truth is that these things were only the means of developing the real condition of the soul and the bent of the heart the world was in the heart and would be reached by some route or another nor is there much of moral excellency exhibited in blaming men and things when the root of the matter lies within it is not that controversy and division are not to be deeply deplored assuredly they are to see brethren contending in the very presence of the canaanite and the perizzite is truly lamentable and humiliating our language should ever be let there be no strife i pray thee between me and thee for we are brethren still why did not abraham make choice of sodom why did not strife drive him into the world why was it not an occasion of stumbling to him because he looked at it from god's point of view no doubt he had a heart that could be attracted by well-watered plains just as powerfully as lot's heart but then he did not allow his heart to choose he first let lot take his choice and then left god to choose for him this was heavenly wisdom this is what faith ever does it allows god to fix its inheritance as it also allows him to make it good it is always satisfied with the portion which god gives it can say the lines are fallen to me in pleasant places yea i have a goodly heritage it matters not where the lines fall for in the judgment of faith they always fall in pleasant places just because god casts them there the man of faith can easily afford to allow the man of sight to take his choice he can say if thou wilt take the left hand then i will go to the right or if thou depart to the right hand then i will go to the left what beautiful disinterestedness and moral elevation we have here and yet what security it is certain that let nature range where it will let it take its most comprehensive grasp its boldest and highest flight there is never the slightest danger of its laying its hand upon faith's treasure it will seek its portion in quite an opposite direction faith lays up its treasure in a place which nature would never dream of examining and as to its approaching thereto it could not if it would and it would not if it could hence therefore faith is perfectly safe as well as beautifully disinterested in allowing nature to take its choice
what then did lot choose when he got his choice he chose sodom the very place that was about to be judged but how was this why select such a spot because he looked at the outward appearance and not at the intrinsic character and future destiny the intrinsic character was wicked its future destiny was judgment to be destroyed by fire and brimstone out of heaven but it may be said lot knew nothing of all this perhaps not nor abraham either but god did and had lot allowed god to choose his inheritance for him he certainly would not have chosen a spot that he himself was about to destroy he did not however he judged for himself sodom suited him though it did not suit god his eye rested on the well-watered plains and his heart was attracted by them he pitched his tent toward sodom such is nature's choice demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world lot forsook abraham for the same reason he left the place of testimony and got into the place of judgment and the lord said unto abraham after that lot was departed from him lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which thou seest to thee will i give it and to thy seed for ever the strife and separation so far from damaging abraham's spiritual condition rather brought out in full relief his heavenly principles and strengthened in his soul the life of faith moreover it cleared the prospect for him and delivered him from the company of one who could only prove a dead weight thus it worked for good and yielded a harvest of blessing it is at once most solemn and yet most encouraging to bear in mind that in the long run men find their proper level men who run unsent break down in one way or another and find their way back to that which they profess to have left on the other hand those who are called of god and lean on him are by his grace sustained their path is as the shining light which shineth more and more unto the perfect day the thought of this should keep us humble watchful and prayerful let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall for truly there are first that shall be last and there are last that shall be first he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved is a principle which whatever be its specific application has a wide moral bearing many a vessel has sailed out of harbour in gallant style with all its canvas spread amid cheering and shouting and with many fair promises of a first-rate passage but alas storms waves shoals rocks and quicksands have changed the aspect of things and the voyage that commenced with hope has ended in disaster i am here only referring to the path of service and testimony and by no means to the question of a man's eternal acceptance in christ this latter blessed be god does not in any wise rest with ourselves but with him who has said i give unto my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any pluck them out of my hand but do we not know that many christians set out on some special course of service or testimony under the impression that they are called of god thereto and after a time they break down unquestionably and further very many set out in the profession of some special principle of action respecting which they have not been divinely taught 
or the consequences of which they have not maturely considered in the presence of God, and, as a necessary result, they themselves have been found after a time in the open violation of those very principles. All this is deplorable, and should be carefully avoided. It tends to weaken the faith of God's elect, and causes the enemies of the truth to speak reproachfully. Each one should receive his call and his commission directly from the Master himself. All whom Christ calls into any special service, he will infallibly maintain therein, for he never sent any one a warfare at his own charges. But if we run unsent, we shall not only be left to learn our folly, but to exhibit it. Yet it is not that any one should set himself up as the impersonation of any principle, or as an example of any special character of service or testimony. God forbid. This would be the most egregious folly and empty conceit. It is a teacher's business to set forth God's word, and it is a servant's business to set forth the master's will. But while all this is fully understood and admitted, we must ever remember the deep need there is of counting the cost, ere we undertake to build a tower or go forth to war. Were this more seriously attended to, there would be far less confusion and failure in our midst. Abraham was called of God from Ur to Canaan, and hence God led him forth on the way. When Abraham tarried at Charan, God waited for him. When he went down into Egypt, he restored him. When he needed guidance, he guided him. When there was strife and a separation, he took care of him, so that Abraham had only to say, O oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. He lost nothing by the strife. He had his tent and his altar before, and he had his tent and his altar afterwards. Then Abraham removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Lot might choose Sodom, but as for Abraham, he sought and found his all in God. There was no altar in Sodom. Alas, all who travel in that direction are in the quest of something quite different from that. It is never the worship of God, but the love of the world that leads them thither. And even though they should attain their object, what is it? How does it end? Just thus, he gave them their request, but sent leadness into their souls. End of chapter 13